All right. Uh, good afternoon and welcome to our second panel of the day here at TBRCon 2021, where you're here to talk about heroes, anti-heroes, bad guys, evildoers, morally great characters. If you are familiar with Joe Dirt, Husker Do's and Husker Don'ts, uh, and probably anything else under the sun, knowing the people that I have on this panel. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. But uh, I almost forgot uh, potpourri because that's Brian Naslund's uh, favorite subject. But before we get into all that, <laughs> I want everybody to introduce themselves. So, Graham, we'll start with you. Okay. I'm Graham Austin King. I write dark fantasy. Um, it seems to be getting darker as I go along, so it's possible I need help. I could get therapy. Well, why not just write it down? I mean, you guys pay for it. So, <laughs> I've written everything from uh, books about twisted fairies to my latest urban fantasy, uh, Laura Prometheus, which is about uh, an ex-Special Forces soldier who realizes his magic. So there you go. That's me. All right. I'm Mike Shackle. I'm the author of the Last War trilogy, the We Are the Dead and Fool's Hope. Um, they're grim and they're glorious and they're full of ordinary people trying to do good things but failing horribly. <laughs> Uh, my name is Mike Schell. I'm uh, author of the, the Iconoclast trilogy. Um, Aching God and Sin Eater are out now. And I'm hoping that the last book, Idols Fall, will be out by the end of uh, April. So, ML? I'm ML Spencer. I'm author of the Renoir Saga. And currently, my newest book, Dragon Mage, is not quite as dark. I'm trying to reform. So let's see if I'm actually capable of that or not. People tell me it's still dark, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm Nasland. Um, I'm the author of the Dragons of Terra trilogy. The first book is Blood of an Exile, and the second one is Sorcery of the Queen. Um, the elevator pitch I was used is that it's an answer to the question of what would happen if you took the uh, grumpiest, most cynical version of Wolverine from the comics and forced him to become a dragon slayer against his will. So that's what I'm doing. All right, I'm Phil Williams. I'm the author of the Oddshore series, the uh, contemporary fantasy thrillers. Um, they lean more towards kind of horror, so they take place in the real world where you've got all sorts of monsters lurking in the background, so yeah, full of dark stuff. Yeah. So, so the major theme here is dark stuff. Okay, got it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, just to kind of uh, get a little bit of talking, so, you know, we're all we're all tired of talking about heroes clearly because we just want to talk about evildoers and dark stuff. Uh, so why don't we ever get an anti-hero's perspective, you know, after getting the crap stomped out of them. So, you know, you always have the good guy comes in, you've got a baddie that's destroying a city or robbing a bank. If you want to talk about Joker or something, but you never like, you know, you always see the hero taking them out and then you don't really hear from the bad guy again until he like heals up and comes back. So, how, how does how does a how does an antagonist get the motivation to continue coming back and mm -hmm. and doing evil things? Uh, what is what is there if if your army is completely wiped out, but you still have a general left over? You know what is their motivation to to, to continue coming back and trying to take over? Pathological hate. <laughs> <laughs> If it's a good antagonist, don't forget an antagonist is always the hero of their own story. Yeah, absolutely. So they have a good reason, a solid reason for coming back. Yeah, I'd go with that one absolutely. The trick tends to be that they think that they're doing the right thing. So if they've lost, then they've got to keep fighting. 
try and keep going till they win. Well, they create motivation revenge. <laughs> Let's go kill everyone who killed everyone that we care about. You know, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, every, everyone is a hero of their own journey, isn't it? I mean, it's. Uh, I don't think there's any bad person in history that woke up saying, "I'm going to do bad things today." It's just their idea of what's good is uh, just completely wrong. <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember the show that I saw this on, but it, there are a couple of Nazis at a Nuremberg rally marching with torches and one leans to the other and says, are we the bad guys? <laughs> um, <laughs> that kind of sense of, of the bad guys rarely seeing themselves as, as the bad guys and whatever the motivation is. Um, I think one thing you need to look at is pathology. And part of that comes from, I think my own background and, and what I do in my day job, but looking at, um, uh, mutilated personalities, uh, people who uh, have a lot of anger, have a lot of, of hate, um, or lack the ability to put themselves in other people's shoes. Um, so I think what, you know, I think the revenge angle that Mike mentioned is what we see over and over again. It's like the, the need to dominate. Um, and, uh, and it doesn't matter what's left over afterwards, as long as I'm standing on the pile of ashes. Mm. I mean, there's a, there's a Matt Damon film, um, Talented Mr. Ripley. is a great line in that where this where mm. I think it's um, nobody ever thinks of themselves as a bad person, no matter what they've done. And that probably ties right into this. But the best example I can think of is of an antagonist who's who sort of you see into his reasoning is Brandon Sanderson. I hate to bring on Sanderson this early, but you know, there you go. Um, <laughs> He's misborn saga right at the very end. Spoilers, you find out that the you know the, the the antagonist of the whole trilogy thought he was doing the right thing all the way through. He's just fucked up tremendously every single time. And now it's fallen to, to the protagonists of the of the, the trilogy to pull it back together again. So. Oh no, I am I haven't finished reading that book. Oh no. <laughs> spoiler spoiler mind <laughs> already you've ruined it. Yeah, six minutes in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. it too. <laughs> what about you, Ron? What do you think? Or did you dip out before uh, you finished? I was dipping out for some of it, but I'm just going to talk about a villain that I like for lack of uh, context and anything else. Um, but no, it, it's sort of related, I think. Um, one of my favorite villains has always been Anton Chigurh from um, No Country for Old Men. This is not even fantasy, but um, I liked him because he had this crazy, rigid moral code, and I... Um, like he was definitely thinking he was doing the right thing. It was all completely insane. But my favorite part about him was that I feel like there's lots of heroes that wind up being villains in the sense that they will be a hero when it's convenient, but when the going gets tough, they sort of, you know, um, will do the easy thing and wind up being villains in that form. Anton Chigurh was like, he would be evil even when it be, was like extremely inconvenient for him. And he like, he upheld his moral code even though it was this ridiculous string of murders and violence and I always, like someone that crazy um, and that sort of um, both twisted in the way they behave in the real world, but inside their own, you know, kind of mind and logic and stuff. They're um, perfectly upstanding citizens. I think that's cool. Well, to kind of kind of branch off the question and, and to branch off what, uh, you know, Brian was saying, who is who is a antagonist or a villain or somebody who's looked at as a villain that, you know, you you is your favorite, I guess, 
uh, you know, who, who is somebody that always sticks in your mind or when you're riding or even when you're not riding? Well, I, 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 you know, when I was seven years old, I saw Star Wars, which obviously changed everything I never recovered. But I walked out of there just completely in love with Darth Vader. And I, and I, I just, you know, he had the coolest costumes. He had the coolest lightsaber. It was unstoppable. And part of me, like, I didn't, like, once you get to, to know the prequel stories and things like that, I didn't like it so much because I liked this idea of this unstoppable monster coming after you that everyone has to rally against. And I, I think you, the best stories, the bad guys need that kind of um, sense that they're going to win. Like, you have to go through the whole story believing that the odds are against your heroes. And I think the trouble when you get, it's like the Superman pure hero thing is you know they're always going to win. You know that the, the villain is there just to be beaten up for that episode. So I, I always try and have bad guys that feel unstoppable, that beating them is going to be impossible for our heroes to do. And that keeps you turning the pages, wondering what's going to happen. Um, and that's why, you know, cool costumes, cool swords. <laughs> Anybody else? Okay, well, going from this drop comics, I'd say going into comics, one of the one of the best you've got there has to be the Joker. I think he's just one of the most compelling characters in, in any kind of medium, and I think it comes up again and again. The fact that he keeps coming up in different uh, formats, and he's always compelling, just because he's so crazy in a way. He's just he's charming because he's just so nuts that he's not even nasty. He's just got that kind of magnetism. But again, I think it's one of those great villains that I love him just being this homicidal maniac. Mm -hmm. I think I, I, I struggled with mm -hmm. the, the Joker film when you want to, you know, poor guy is being mistreated, mm -hmm. he's unloved, he's, you know, it, it kind of, to me, took away that kind of scariness of the monster appearing in your midst because mm -hmm. I, I was supposed to feel sympathy for him. I, I think the Joker's just brilliant as this just force of pure evil that turns up you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the complete opposite of Batman. Yeah, I'm always interested to see the like difference. A, yeah. Because I yeah, feel, I feel like the Joker like... movie didn't do it for me as much as I as I thought mm -hmm. it would, just getting all the nuance behind him and everything. Or like the, yeah, the, you know, I don't want to sympathize with the Joker. I want to just see him being a completely malevolent force, you know, mm -hmm. from someone else's perspective. <laughs> Well, you could kind of, you already kind of like him, don't you, for being that malevolent force. He doesn't need to be like have you on his side. <laughs> that's part of the charm, isn't it? He doesn't need. <laughs> well, so I mean, that's why dragons are amazing as a, a monster to fight because they're just giant. They're going to come and eat you. You know, their motivation yeah. is, I'm going to eat you. Maybe burn you first, but you know, you don't need to know they grew up and you know. They're unloved in the corner of whatever world they're in. You know, they just <laughs> fly in and, and you need someone with a spear standing in the way trying to kill them. You know, it's, you know. Didn't, you didn't need to know they were the runt in the family and they got left yeah. behind when the family journeyed across the land. And <laughs> yeah. that's, I, th I think that's the way, like those uh, Prometheus and those alien movies where, you know, I don't want to see how the aliens were invented. Mm. You know, you just want them to come along and, and destroy you. Mm. Yeah, it feels like they kind of miss the point, isn't it? Because they take all the tension out of it. They're just like... <laughs> <laughs> I like the clown uh, from It. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Pennywise? Yeah, Pennywise. Um, I think I like Pennywise because 
you, you don't really get to see Pennywise's motivations. You, he's just constantly evil <laughs> in every way. And you don't know why. It's, it's because evil. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But, but it works for him. Just like the um, the hotel in The Shining, you know, works also. It's not exactly a persona, but it kind of is. So. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it makes me think, though, about appetite. And that's, I think that's the way, the, the sense that I got from it was that the whatever it was ate fear. Yeah. Right? And, uh, you know, you get back to this, this uh, motivation, why, why people or alien clowns do what they do. Um, and you get to, to need, to, to appetite. Mm -hmm. And uh, does, do you allow your appetite to override any sort of moral qualms? And, you know, that's where we, we see the villains coming from is that they, I, it doesn't matter how this impacts other people. But you don't think maybe it can get too simplistic if you do that? I mean, it makes sense to me because it, as in Pennywise, makes sense to me because it, it's appetite. He, it, whatever it is, needs to consume to survive, and that's the survival instinct. But if you take that to, say, I don't know, your you stereotypical Dark Lord, what do they do the next day? You know, when, when Saren has covered the world in darkness, when, when Lord Fowl has... has tainted and destroyed everything well then what you know what what's the, the motivation doesn't make sense going forward irrational it's a rational motivation that they that there's anything beyond but well going back to to joker in the, the chris nolan movie some yeah. men just want to see the world burn well what was fascinating me is, is the hangers on hmm. um, best example that springs to mind is is dr strange where the ultimate big bad just just wants to destroy everything that's this is malevolent force that's it so fine but what about all the followers who know that the world's going to end but they're coming on to play anyway because they'll be fine honest they'll be great and you see it so often in so many books and so many so many films that you know oh we've been promised a way out we know there's gonna be a, like the world's gonna explode well we'll be all right it's all right it's fine <laughs> They're doing it for good pay and health care? You can't beat that six percent match is worth it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but I think that's why a lot of the time, you know, stormtroopers wear helmets so you can't see their ordinary people, because really you'd feel bad about the Death Star being blown up and the two billion workers on there that got vacuumed into space. I mean it's you you have those faceless enemies that you hate, but they probably all believe they're in a, a doing a good thing. There was a, and I won't again spoil the Mandalorian too much, but there was a great scene where there were some Empire people arguing over, you know, the terrorists that blew up the Death Star and how they mm -hmm. lost their friends there. I mean, it's mm -hmm. you know, one one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter, you know, and I I'm sure all the people that were working for Trump all thought they were doing the right thing. You know, it's yeah, but they 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 do. You know, they don't wake up and go, "I'm going to have a evil breakfast," and you know, and go off and be evil. They think they're changing the world for good. Um, you know, it's I think just a, a lot of them probably thought there's a small bad thing is not going to be too bad, and then it's spiraled <laughs> out of control. <laughs> Are you suggesting the emperor had make the empire great again? Hats is that what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that has not happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. I, and Graham, I, I'm, I, I'm interested to know, you know, cause that's what I was saying. He was like, what, what is, what's the next thing? So, because we, we never really see that. I mean, I guess you saw it a little bit uh, in the uh, not in game, but the previous installment of the Avengers movie, you, know, you got to see Thanos after he, sorry, spoiler, it snaps his finger. Uh, and you, you know, you see him go to this, you know, this utopia where it's just all fields of flowers and meadows and he's done his business. And then you kind of see what happens, you know, a little bit, you know, after once they reassemble and so forth. Um, but you don't really see that in books or movies or TV shows. You don't see what happens at the end and what the next day looks like. It's just, it's just the next day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, think about too, that though, that, you brought up Trump, so sorry. It's like he's just my ready, you know, example of evil. Um, so Mike did it. We had a, a Brit do it, so we're okay. Um, what kind of planning was there there beyond the next twenty-four hours, yeah. and then the twenty-four hours after that? I mean, I I don't think we're necessarily dealing with great thinkers. Sometimes we're talking about mm-hmm. villains. That there were talking about uh, oftentimes people with uh, need for immediate gratification and uh, being driven by kind of some, some what we think of as base impulses, whether it's revenge or greed or whatever the case may be. And uh, so, you know, we'll say, oh, this, this, you know, this flu is not any uh, worse than, than the regular flu and it'll be gone in the next few weeks. And there is plenty of information there to suggest that, no, this indeed is a lot bigger than that. Um, why would you put out some lie like that you were going to be found out for uh, such a short time later? Well, not a great planner. We're not really thinking about what happens the day after. Because uh, there are so many villains that rise to power through, you know, months and years of machinations and careful planning. And I'm trying to think there... There must be some where there's like a villain who rose to power kind of by accident, like didn't really think that they would actually succeed, but they did. And now they're in charge of this, like, you know, huge empire. So I mean, nothing comes to mind, but I think that, that would be a funny story to read where they kind of just didn't, didn't think it would work, but it did. And now they're all powerful. And evil. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually wake up in the morning going, what have I done? What, have I done? <laughs> um, what do you think, Emil? I was I was thinking of Daenerys actually um, from Game of Thrones um, and like the day after you know what would the day after look like if Daenerys actually brought her evil empire <laughs> to the whole world you know um, thinking that she was spreading good you know it would be mass oppression everywhere you know people getting blasted with dragon fire um, but to her that would be a beautiful world. Yeah, but you could say the same thing about Cersei. I mean, give Cersei some dragons, and she's she's now better or worse. But yeah. I mean, what I liked most about Game of Thrones was that you could understand the motivations behind all of them. Cersei was very clearly her thought process was that if I don't do this, someone else is going to do it to me. If I don't screw these guys over, if I don't go up to Winterfell and raise it to the ground, they're going to come south and get me. So that's the whole point of it. See, I didn't actually see Cersei as an, as a villain. I actually totally identified with Cersei. I I understood her motivations. Okay. She possibly has power in order to defend her kids. 
a lot of her motivation came from that. Mm-hmm. It doubles down to of like, all right, I've got enemies against me. It might not be that I have a few, few personality defects to work through in therapy. I'm just going to double down and try to take over the entire world. I'm going to continue down this path and assume everyone else is wrong. Um, I feel like they're so funny too when you look at Cersei and Tyrion because I feel like I just feel like I'm saying her name, both of their names different. But anyway, I feel like Tyrion was so interesting because he, you know, I wouldn't call him a villain, but when he took, he sometimes takes power through, you know, means that aren't on the, on the above board area. But I remember there were these scenes and chapters where they point out that he's a very good, like, bureaucratic administrator. Like, he's good with making sure the sewers of the city work. Like, he, he likes the um, mundane aspects of having power. Whereas Cersei, I feel like it wasn't as overt, but she wanted power, but once she had it, she didn't want to actually be like a leader. She didn't have a grand plan of how she's going to make cities and, and bureaucracy a better place. And I feel like that, like, in my mind, slips you more into like a true a true villain versus someone who maybe like is willing to take power through shitty means, but then they're going to like make sure the sewage system is on the up and up. Like, you know, there's going to be a good reason for it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it's a cool difference between the two siblings there. Mm-hmm. Well, and also looking at, Tyr- at Tyrion's reaction when when Daenerys went full dragon Hitler, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that you know that was okay. She crossed a line. You know, uh, Tyrion was willing to 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 do some shady things, but that was that was a, a, a you know too far. Right. So um, you hide in a latrine and shoot your father in the ass, but. When you go full dragon Hitler, you, uh, <laughs> you know uh, we're all writing that down now. We're all yeah, gonna write right. the perspective of the book in the next year. <laughs> I've got copywriting that. <laughs> wow. Goodness gracious. Um all right, so uh a little bit of a general discussion question. Um what is the biggest challenge when writing villains or heroes or one or the other? Everything part of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll say villains first then, since this is anti-hero chat. Nobody. Hey, one thing that's yeah, one thing that took me a while to get right. I have this very kind of mad scientist villain, and his. Broader strokes and broader plan was pretty straightforward because mad scientists just want a mad scientist. Like he's just always kind of looking for the next experiment. But I really struggled for a while with his like just moment to moment behavior. Um, and what I wound up doing to kind of get it right was sort of channel the most like evil parts of my own behavior. Um, and I did it, you know, he's the scientist guy. So he's very analytical. He just treats people like things. So I started trying to channel the thing that I do for my day job, which I, I have a day job in tech. So I do a lot of things with numbers and analytics and basically reducing people to pie charts and graphs and stuff like that. And so when I was trying to like apply that part of my own kind of behavior to a person that worked a lot better. So like f- finding my lowest functioning self and day to day things and then pouring that into a character it took me a while to do or to realize that I needed to do um, to prevent them from coming off as like caricatures and, and super stiff people. So that was, that was what I, what I struggled with the most is like you establish a villain who's relatively standard, but you got to fill in the color with unique stuff. And that, that wasn't easy for me. Sorry. Yeah. My bad guy in uh, we are the dead, he, his, his superpower or his magic power is the ability to heal. So you've cut yourself, he can come along, put his hand on it and make it all 
Bella, which I thought was like the nicest power anyone could have. But he is, he enjoys pain. So he actually enjoys torturing people and, you know, and then he heals them and then he gets to do it all over again. So it's, you know, nonstop um, torment. And it, he was just fun to write because he was so twisted and, and perverted in, in the way he thought. And there wasn't, and he was just having a good time. It wasn't, he didn't think he was being bad. He was, do, he was just someone who really enjoyed doing his job. Um, and and I, I think that kind of madness is a lot easier to write than an ordinary person who's trying to just do the right thing and get through the next day. Um, I'm a bit worried when people actually enjoy say that he's their favorite character, though. <laughs> Secretly, <laughs> it's just so great because like he he could be you know the greatest doctor in the world, but he decides to go the other way. <laughs> well, Hannibal Lecter is another example of of someone who's supposed to, he's a brilliant psychiatrist, um, and uh, and people you know no pun intended ate up that character and just you know uh, were just so drawn to that you know, unmitigated evil, absolutely, you know, um, except, of course, his motivation is he only ate people who are rude. Um, <laughs> so as long as you weren't rude, you know, you were you were okay with him. You got to have a code. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but the code, I think the code, you know, John Wick is a horrible assassin, but he has a code, you know, that, you hurt his dog, he's going to come after you, or you steal his car. And a lot of these anti-heroes, it's that code that allows you to root for them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but if you, you think about him, he's a horrible, horrible person that made a fortune by assassinating people for who knows what reason. They were all meaty dogs. Yeah. Every one of them. SPCA blacklist. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a balance that needs to be struck. Um, yeah. I think that it, you can really screw up your villain. Uh, if you humanize them too much, then if you make it too easy to relate to, then they cease to be the villain. They, they're like the pseudo hero. So you need to find a balance between making them just this two-dimensional mustache twirling bad guy and making them just another hero with a different motivation. Um, and I've done both. Uh, I mean, I, I've had the implacable bad guy that, that you, you don't really get to see that much as to what the motivations are. And I've seen, I've had the other guy that by the end of the book, uh, by the end of Faithless, then you're, you're practically understanding what it is, is, is driving the, the antagonist of that story, uh, the sense of betrayal and bitterness and, and so on and so forth. But you've got to pull back a little bit. At least I, I feel that you do. You've got to pull back a little bit because if you go too far, then he's just another hero going another way. Yeah, I agree with that totally. I mean, I'd go back to Mike's earlier example of Darth Vader. I think the original trilogy does that perfectly because we get little snippets. Like every now and again, you see Darth Vader as this sort of unstoppable force, but when he does get a chance to stop and talk, you do get these ideas that he, he has certain principles he thinks he wants, and especially when he's alone with Luke. You, just in a couple of lines, you get this idea he has an ambition, and uh, you, you get that human angle, but it, it totally doesn't undercut how horrible and scary he is. When you get into the original trilogy, suddenly he's this you know, skinny welcome, you're like. But, but that, the, whole, the whole power of that line of I'm your father mm. only really works because he's so evil mm. and Luke's so good 
Yeah. That is like the most awful thing that could be said. Yeah. It's not like, oh, dad, you're back. You know, it's just yeah. like, I, w- I would rather exactly. kill myself than have you as my father. Yeah. 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 So and yeah, undercuts that when you get yeah. <laughs> when you get his whole yeah, history. You know? One of the things I think I was struck by I was twelve when the first Star Wars came out, so if you can imagine, you know, the kind of crack that was. Um, <laughs> the third movie in, in with uh, Return of the Jedi when uh, Luke saves his father because he he tosses the Emperor over the uh, over the rail. Um, everything's okay now. You've killed billions of people, but because you did this one thing, all you know, all the the slate's clean, wiped clean again. And that always struck me as a little, uh, a little hard to hard to accept. Could have done like a, you know, th- there should be a fan fiction of this where um, Darth Vader doesn't die at, at, after the Death Star blows up, and so now Luke has mm-hmm. to reconcile. Like, you're gonna put your dad in like <laughs> war crimes, oh. you know, defend him. You know? Family therapy. Really Yeah. Does Luke just go down the dark side trying to defend his father, or uh, or what? I, think that, I bet there is a fan fiction of that. There's no way someone hasn't thought of that already. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna write it. I'm gonna write the family therapy with uh Leah and uh and Darth Vader. Vader the therapy is yeah. the one where Vader's on trial and you know they call Luke as a witness and <laughs> you have to testify against your own dad. Um yeah, I haven't I haven't I haven't read any anything where where he continues on. I've just read it's it's all like fluff between movies or, or all the uh, the vader stories i've read and, and most of them it's just him continuing to kill people uh but doing it for good means right um so emil did, did you have anything to add uh to uh to about writing villains no i think it's pretty much all been said i mean you just you have to make your villain um realistic enough so that they're just not a mustache twirler um, I do like what Graham said that if you go too far the other way, you know, you've gone into kind of like an anti-villain and anti-villains are really interesting. Honestly, they are, but you also have to have a real villain <laughs> if you have an anti-villain. Gotcha. Um, what do y'all think, uh, or what is the difference between a villain and an anti-hero or, or are they the same thing? Marketing. <laughs> 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 Anybody? I guess, I guess the, the anti-hero has more of a, has to have a, an arc, doesn't he? An anti-hero tends to take you somewhere. A villain is is more playing against the protagonist; they're, they're in the way of the arc. Whereas the anti-hero, you're following them on their arc. You take the same, you could take the same character from different perspectives and different story, and have that have one as a villain and one as an anti-hero. It's about the perspective of the story, isn't it? Who are they going against? Yeah, it probably just comes down to depth, really. Mm-hmm. If you go any further into the villain, then you'll start to relate. You'll start to understand fully the motivation in the background, and then they will cease to be really a villain. Um, so I uh, I feel that superheroes are just too you know super. So you know the last couple of Avengers movies, for example, you know they revealed that they can be beaten, but most have it you know pretty easy. Do, do you feel there should be a, more of a balance in good versus evil? 
or should you know good always prevail because that's just you know how it is yeah there's a bad snowstorm in colorado so it's, it's screwing up my internet connection <laughs> i think the good needs to prevail in an interesting way and I think that's kind of what's been kind of lost with the superhero movies. You've got the superheroes defeating the supervillains, you know, but by just virtue of them being a superhero. Um, I like the older superhero movies where they actually had to be a little creative <laughs> and um, actually beat them through, you know, using their intellect, not just their, their big hammer, so. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think these, everything goes around in cycles, right? And I, I think at, at the moment, I think superhero movies are so popular because the world is so dark and messed up in reality. So you need that escapism. You want to see good win and, and believe that there's hope at the end of it. In the same way, you know, in the 50s, you had cowboy westerns and the hero in his white hat and John Wayne coming along and doing his thing. There, I think... And then, and then you, if you look back in more recent times when, you know, things have been great, the anti-hero has been much more popular because we can deal with these kind of grey figures coming and doing things. I, I think our entertainment really reflects a lot of what's going on around us and what we seek to do this. You know, I've, I've struggled writing while this pandemic's been going on because it's hard going into a dark, writing about a dark world when I look out the window and I'm frightened about what's going on. You know, so I end up doing kids' books because that's I need to feel lightness and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think everything that we do reflects what goes on around us. And the Marvel movies are a great symptom, a, a example of that, just because it is, you do need to see Captain America standing up and beating Thanos over the head with Thor's hammer, and you're going to cheer at that point. Anybody else have anything to add? Sorry, kill the conversation. <laughs> no, no, I just, I, I, I agree with it. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you mentioned, like, um, I've been working on my third book um, in the trilogy for basically the whole pandemic year. And it's it's a dark, unpleasant period for most of the characters. But I wrote a whole plot line that I then deleted um, that was just people hanging out and, and having no problems and just, like, eating food and going shopping and stuff like that. <laughs> you um, read my book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wrote like it was back in like March and April, I think, when I, you know, everything was so scary and it was very unclear if anything was going to be okay ever again. Um, and I, I delete the entire thing; it was completely useless to the actual book, but it, it felt good at the time. I literally bailed on Grimdark during the pandemic. I was right in the middle of a Grimdark series. And I'm like, I can't do this right now. So I just took off out of my series, wrote epic fantasy, you know, heroic epic fantasy. And now I somehow have to go back and write the finish to that Grimdark series. But I just, I couldn't write it this year. Couldn't do it. It's funny, as a, as a counterpoint, I think I've gone the other way. I've written much darker stuff during this period. <laughs> <laughs> I've just written really dark horror stories. And uh, I don't know, part of that's fueling it. But I'd still go towards the end up aiming towards some kind of happy ending, don't you? And uh, I guess a, a tangent I'd go in there is it's part of the reason that people enjoy um, series, especially uh, when you've got a trilogy and you know maybe there'll be a happy ending at the end, but you can get that satisfaction of the books in the middle where bad things just happen and happen, and it gives us that kind of strong impact of the story. 
And we know, well, maybe in the next book things will be all right, which is why the second book's in a trilogy, not an end on a real banner. And I, and I guess, you know, like what ML was saying, you know, it kind of depends on what your headspace was last year uh, mm-hmm. and, and continuing now. Because, you know, even as a reader, it was it was hard to read a lot of Grimdark because I had all these series mm-hmm. that I wanted to read or listen to. And I just I just couldn't fathom sitting down and, and going, gosh, this is terrible things happen to these people. And then you look out the window, there's terrible things happening outside. And you look at the news, and go, there is nothing good happening today. <laughs> I think I'm just going to go take a nap. It, just, it wasn't, it, you know, it just wasn't good. So, so hopefully, you know, that, that starts to, to get better. We'll see. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, and I can imagine it's hard to write a villain, you know, in, in those circumstances, because you just want to go, can I just write a hero story and everything just be, flowers and rainbows and sunshine and everybody gets along and <laughs> so. I, mean, I mean it's i heard someone else say something about it i i was blocked for a, a good part uh, of the past year i mean badly blocked um and it sounds like I, mike i think you mentioned that it's been tough to write during this period for you too yeah i mean i, I was on, i was on a call with some other glance authors the other week and the first question everyone asked was are you writing and then the relief when everyone said no, um, you know, and there were some, you know, quite experienced authors there. It's just, it's difficult. And I think, especially when all your routines and things like that go out the window as well. But yeah, it's, it's hard going into a dark place, making bad things happen when it's happening to people, you know, around you, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a challenge. And I think what what would be interesting is to see the books that are coming out of, this, as ML said, you know, you've written that amazing epic fantasy book, and you know, the, it's a complete change from what you used to do. Um, and I'm, and by the looks of it, everyone's loving it, so uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what other books then come from it. All. <laughs> um, so there's another question from the audience, and I mean, I, I know we're we're strictly talking about villains, but that's what we're just going to do, unfortunately. So even though even though we've been finding it hard to write about villains, but are your favorite villains uh, to write those that are completely opposite from the hero or main character, or those that reflect them in some way? Both, but it I think it can. It's maybe a little bit easier to be more interesting if they they're kind of not not foils of each other, but but are kind of related in their perspective. I actually, um, I, well, I haven't actually done this already, but I, I do think about it every once in a while when I'm thinking of new characters. There's this um, thing called an Enneagram test, which is sort of like a personality test, but it's centered around um, kind of like workplace behavior. That's what it's specialized for. And I had to do it um, for a job and I kind of, you know, was giving it the side eye when I showed up, but I found it to be pretty helpful just generally as a personality test. But the cool thing that they do is they give you like your highest functioning version of yourself and then your lowest functioning version of yourself. And I remember mine was like highest functioning. I'd be like this empathetic person who sees all different perspectives. My lowest functioning version of myself is an agoraphobic basically who is afraid to go outside and can't handle anything. And I feel like for like matching like a, a villain with a hero, it's fun to like, think of that, like, you know, this is one person at their highest functioning version, the other person at their lowest and like messing around with those. And I've always wanted to, 
like pull up all the different Enneagram personalities. There are nine and like pick a hero and a villain and a foil based on like just screwing around with how high functioning or low functioning different people are. Um, but um, so yeah, I like them to be related a little bit if I can swing it. You see my life's function, if I did that as a bad guy, they'd just stay in bed all day reading comic books and <laughs> <laughs> there, there wouldn't be any evil empire building going on. Anybody else? Um, in my Ren Wars books, um, definitely my hero was very tempted to become a villain. Um, there was a lot of the villain in the hero. And um, I just, I, I really like doing that where there is, you know, the hero can find admirable qualities in the villain. Mm -hmm. And it's very tempting and seductive to kind of go in that direction. <laughs> you can get um, versions of that scene from Heat where Al Pacino and Robert De Niro have coffee together. Like mm -hmm. I, I love when moments like that happen yeah. in fiction. Sorry. <laughs> you might kind of mirror images of each other though, even in, in the, in the Faithless book, uh, the sequel I'm writing now, really, they're, they're both searching for the truth, just going about by, by different ways. So it really depends on your perspective as to, I mean, if, you, if you're really fucked up, you've had a drink, then you know you might be confused as to which is which, but they're both essentially searching for the same thing. Um, and it just depends on, on where your moral compass lies. I find sometimes I've got villains where it's not the, I mean, when you get away from the ones that are just doing something for an evil purpose, looking for evil, I find sometimes I emerge with uh, a villain where I've got a kind of a version of a character who's just taken something to a slight extreme. Like my kind of main villain-ish character in my Oddshaw, first three Oddshaw books is very similar to one of the other characters if, if you pay close attention and you gradually realise actually she's just that much worse that it comes to the point where it becomes a problem. And I find that quite an interesting dynamic to play with because especially I've got another, I've got an unpublished story, I've got something similar where the mentor becomes the antagonist. And it's the idea that actually the, the same values that the hero's got, if you take them a bit further, they can become villainy. I find that interesting. Hmm. Um, so I've got, a, I've got a question from the audience. This, this ought to be interesting and, and a little bit humorous. Does I like to think the characters in books are the kids of the authors? Need <laughs> <laughs> material for a great hero, and when the hero happens to die in a story, it's usually a glorious end and easier to accept. How hard or easy is it as your parent to kill the main villain? That's yeah. a fantastic question. It's a very good point. I think it's really hard sometimes because I, I don't like killing any characters, especially my bad ones, because they're the most interesting. <laughs> so yeah, it's difficult. Uh, well, my, my books have a really high body count. Um, so, I, and, and I think, and again, that, to me, it's interesting in no one is safe during this. And just because you think someone is the hero or the main star of the book, it doesn't mean they're going to make it all the way to book three. Uh, and I, I like that unpredictability about it. But I think you have to care about each character when they die. And, and I don't think any of them are the easy ones are the you know the the red shirts that you just get wiped out because people are dying but whether it's a hero or a villain and you've told their story and and their consequences to what they're doing the death should have meaning and impact um and uh, you know there's i can't spoil what happens in one but someone dies in one of my books and i i really miss them you know because they they've been with me for 4 years now 
yeah. you know, and I, and I know them. So they are, you know, I wouldn't mm-hmm. know, I don't know if they're my kids, but they've been <laughs> living in my brain. <laughs> and, and, and they're parts of the story where you're going along, you go, oh, well, if only so-and-so was here, they would be doing this. But unfortunately, you know, they got the head cut off two books ago. Um, <laughs> but no, you, you've got to care about them. It's got to have meaning. And, and that's where the difficulty comes. I think just wiping people out for the sake of it is just pointless. Yeah. I like to shift the doorpost um, a couple of times. You read in my books, you think you identify who the, the bad guy is. And then as time goes on, you realize that maybe they're not the bad guy. And there's this other bad guy lurking behind. But I'm terrible at killing off my my ultimate bad guy. Um, I just kind of put me time out. <laughs> Give a couple of slaps on the wrist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but, but the uh, you know there is going to be a big fight at the end of book three of mine. But I don't know what's going to happen at the end of it. I, I purposely haven't plotted out who's going to win, who's going to survive, who's going to do anything because I want to feel that it's a natural thing that's happening as a result of the story. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and yeah, no bets that it's going to be a happy ending, but um, it, it's a scary thing to contemplate as well, because if, if they are the ultimate bad guy, if they're, they're Sauron, for example, and you kill that character off, well, then, then your story's done. Mm-hmm. And yes, all right. You can go back and revisit your world and go up on tangents and see what this guy did and what that guy did. And, you know, Hey, what's that Island over there? But your ultimate, story is, is finished and that's as an author that's kind of a scary thing to contemplate so to wipe them out completely with a line that a lot of the time i don't want to cross the my first book the first draft uh a character died and after going over it for about a year i decided no i like this character this other character more i have to kill that character <laughs> Uh, and and so ended up changing uh, something that happened at the end because I thought it was more important for for that death to have greater impact, and uh, and that's changed, of course, what's happened in the the books after it. Um, so, yeah, what it's where does uh, "Kill Your Darlings" come from? Um, Evil. Yeah, no, it's funny you mentioned that. I've done that. I did that too with my second book, where I, um, you know, I had one character die, sort of, you know, then a, a character's gonna have a big storyline in the third book, and I was then working on the third book and realizing that I made the wrong decision. And luckily, the death was pretty easy to switch in the copy edits phase of things. Like there wasn't that many pages devoted to it, so like it, it didn't screw me over that much. But there should be a word for like or an acronym for like like FOMO, but the the like feeling you get when you've killed a character in a book that's in print and you can't change and you like come up with the perfect, yeah. you know, online for them later in the third book. So I feel like that's one thing. I didn't think through the long-term implications of some of the people that I killed and it largely worked out just fine, but I, that, that's a good like lesson that is good to not learn the hard way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, there, there are lots of things I did in book one that are plaguing me in book three, yeah. mainly around geography and things like that. And you're just like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, like, I, I think like J- Justin Cole is an amazing author and, and he, he's, uh, his books, Master of Sorrows and Master Artificer, are great books on, on how a, a good person becomes bad. But he spent 10 years doing the world building um, mm. b- 
before writing those books, whereas I kind of make it up as I go along. Like, I don't worry about what money's called until someone needs to pull a coin out. Yeah. So, you know, you've got someone like him who's got this world and he's not going to make those mistakes because he's planned it so well. Mm. But I could also, like, I can walk away from my world at the end of it and start something new, but I haven't mm. spent 10 years planning it. You know, if I was mm. Justin, I'd be writing 15 books in, in that world just because I have to make use of all the planning that I did. I'm um, pretty sure his series yeah, isn't it? Well, it has to be after all that time. You know? <laughs> he's, he's, you know, he's writing you know nine hundred a thousand page books. You know, and they're coming out every, you know annual. But yeah, I think he's I think he's writing like a pretty long, pretty long series. But yeah, I can't I can't imagine that much. He, he's like the opposite. He, he's I, I'm at one end and he's at the other. You know, I'm I'm a complete pantser when it comes to it, and uh, he's got a plan. <laughs> much like putting two cities you know 10 miles apart in book one can completely screw up something you want to do in book three and you just have to you just have to live with the decisions that you've made <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't plan stuff out very far either um so uh another question from the audience um when starting a new story do you start with developing your villain and the challenge that needs to be overcome or does the villain come into being based on what your protagonist arc will be hmm. I hedge my bets and say it varies. <laughs> Some, sometimes I've got an idea where a story's going to go in the end, and if that's the case, then I kind of know where the villain needs to be. But most of the time, I'm following the, the protagonist and seeing where their art goes. So, where they get to at the end is kind of putting me where the villain needs to be. So with the latter, mostly for that, I'd say. I mean, I've developed the villain as a character, but in terms of the way the plot goes, yeah, I'd be led more with judgment. Yeah, I mean, I, I, my, my series starts off, and, and I just had this, and I won't mention the Orange Man again, but uh, after he won um, and other stuff happened in the UK that I didn't agree with, it, it, to me, it felt like the bad guys had won, and I was wondering where the heroes were that were going to come save the day. Um, and then I, I started thinking about the books that I read, and we're all used to Sauron trying to conquer the world and Aragorn's there stopping them and things like that. But I couldn't remember reading any stories where the bad guy had come along, invaded and won, and then dealing with the consequences of life um, in that situation. So that, that's literally, I start off with premise of the war's over, the bad guys are won, what are you going to do about it? Uh, and it? And it was just, again, ordinary people in those situations. You know, World War Two. if you're French and the Germans have invaded, you've got to try and live with that. You've got to try and deal with that situation. And that, to me, became a really interesting area to start exploring. Um, and, and then who are those ordinary people? So, you know, you put a coward into a war story, and that to me is a lot more interesting than having Arnold Schwarzenegger wade through a war story. Because, you know, they've, they've got some really awful choices to make, um, and doing the right thing doesn't come easy to them. So, that f from that, all, all the development of, the qu of who the characters are um, became a lot easier. You know, my main character, I tried having her being a, uh, you know, quick-witted true hero and she refused to do anything and that's when i realized she was a coward and her refusal to do the action and to fight came from 
that personality, and that's what she does all through the book until there's no choice but to fight. And to start with a very kind of um, kind of narrow view and premise, like um, you know, I kicked off the Dragons of Terror series just with this idea that there's a guy with a really bad hangover who has to go kill a dragon. I thought nothing else through, and just wrote that scene and and kind of let it build from there. Um, and I'm finally in the the you know the the trilogies. My my part of it is almost done, so I'm in the spot where I can start thinking of you know what I might want to do next, and I'm approaching it in exactly the same manner for better or for worse just like all these like really like very kind of like narrow problems for a protagonist to solve and then from there there's lots of like growth but yeah i definitely start with just a protagonist with a big problem and then let the villain kind of kind of grow from there whatever it's going to be there's another character with a hangover <laughs> a character with a hangover just thrown off the sky yeah there we go <laughs> <laughs> hey Mel, you got any thoughts? Um, well, again, like when I wrote Rin Wars, um, it was just, it was a very morally great book. So I did not want my villains too far away from my heroes. I wanted them kind of both on the same line, kind of sometimes switching back and forth over crossing that, um, crossing that line. <laughs> so I, I definitely made my, my villain you know, to play off of the hero's, you know, weaknesses and vice versa. And so, yeah, I, I definitely kind of go in that direction. Mike, Graham, any thoughts? Um, I don't plan, really. It makes my editor cry and scream and throw things at me, but no, I, I just want to make it all along. Yes, yelling the other room. But when I wrote my my Bay trilogy, really, that the whole notion of it was that I wanted a world of conflict with itself, just basically an international war, and and then I wanted the third factor of it being this mythical race that's returning to a world that's completely forgotten about them, and they're actually the real threat. So that's the the premise I started with, and. Then I basically just the character just came in to fill it. I think with me, certainly, it's a mistake to think that I in any way know what I'm doing at any point. And it, the story is not as surprising as it is to the reader because it's just appearing on the page. I read back and think that I actually write this because I don't know where these words come from. So my characters develop, all of my characters, uh, be them the, the villain or the protagonist, just develop organically as needed. It makes for an editing nightmare. Hence the, the scars and the bruises and everything else. But yeah, that's how they work. And it seems to work so far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like you, it's like you have editors comment coming in from the side. <laughs> you better tell them how brilliant I am. Though. <laughs> um, all right. So, so when you're writing villains, uh, what are I guess what are some of your biggest influences? And I've asked this question before, but in, in different aspects because I've heard of writers bringing in more probably for thrillers than really for fantasy, but bringing in people like in their life that you know you know maybe 20, 30 years ago in high school they brought those characters to life. But do you uh, do you insert any characteristics of people in your own life into your villains? I killed so many people for my real life in my books. 
some of them thinly disguised, but you know, I don't think they've read the book, so I'll get away with it. But yeah, yeah, I've, I've killed a lot of people. <laughs> the, the hardest thing I have is coming up with names for characters. So in my books, that there are all people I know. The you know the variations on their names get named through characters, and uh, there are a few book bloggers and things like that that are in books two and three, um, just as thank yous. But I needed a name as well. Um, so like Nils is in book two. Um, Oh, that's awesome. You know, I love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and there are a few others, you know, Timmy's in um, book three. But when you need names, I'll go through, who do I know? Who has a fancy sounding name? And yes. suddenly mm -hmm. they're in it, you know, or can I twist it? You know. uh, David's just too normal. <laughs> <laughs> who, else, who else writes people they know in their books? <laughs> I feel like I don't, I've never, um, I feel like I, I start with like generic templates, like, you know, mad scientist or like, you know, Campbell or something like that. And I, I've never put someone else that I know, like tried to pull from their personality, but I do try to like pick from my like lowest, lowest functioning self and, and the perspectives about myself that I like the least. I try to put those into my balance. That works pretty well. Bill, Mike, Emil, anything? I, I tend to avoid going for people. I, know, I don't know, more, more because I find it more interesting to let characters develop themselves, so I don't try and base them on people. But I I do tend to sometimes, I'll take inspiration from other mediums sometimes, like from, a, say, a, a, an actor in a film or something, I might try and take their aesthetic and put it in. But, but often it's something quite random. I've got a character in the Orchard book that's based on a guy who plays a lot of bit cop parts in British dramas. And uh, if I told you who he was, you wouldn't know. But I just I saw him, I see him pop up every now and again in like BBC dramas and like, he's a great character for these books. Um, but you wouldn't recognize him probably from the book either because by the time I've it, it's, it's something else. But as a starting point, sometimes I'll get inspired that way. <laughs> I don't think I could do that. I have a hard time like just even putting like people into books that aren't completely in my brain. I remember like hearing somewhere, okay, you gotta like go sit at Starbucks and just look at people and see what these people do, people watching, and put those characteristics into your character. So I sat there at Starbucks for like an hour going, nobody's doing anything interesting. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I feel like people watching at the DMV is where you see the villains come out. <laughs> Behind the counter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then, Brian, you do you still, or I guess I guess you don't really anymore. But I know bef uh, before the pandemic, you used to used to ride the bus and mm -hmm. write. So I'm sure you uh, you had plenty of uh, people watching stories from that because uh, there's, there's a. There's a definite type of person that, <laughs> that reads the Yeah, there, there was some, especially people losing their composure over the bus being delayed. That, that <laughs> I, I, do, I don't think I've incorporated that behavior in any of my books, but I, I like seeing otherwise 
normal people or people who clearly have their lives together, like in a business suit, and they're like maybe taking work on the bus, and then like there's an unexpected delay, and to see them completely lose their shit in a public setting, I think is one hilarious and just sort of like telling of <laughs> no no person is as wrapped up as they seem like you know like it, like a I think everyone is a hop skip and a jump away from an, an unpredictable event happening that turns them into a uh, into a demon. So maybe I don't have enough faith in people, but. <laughs> But I mean, you know, ML said the DMV, but I mean, you got to think like the airport, you know, sta standing mm -hmm. behind somebody who's writing a check at the at the cash register, yeah. you know, stuff like that would just just make a normal person snap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can tell a lot by someone by how they how they handle airports and uh, DMVs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So another question to the audience, uh, and and I kind of had a question uh, in regards to morally gray, but. Do you prefer to write characters who are clearly good or evil, or do you prefer those who fall in the gray area between? And which do you prefer to read? I absolutely prefer to write characters who fall in the gray between. Um, large premise of, of all of my books is, is that question lurking in the back of the, both mine and the reader's mind. If it comes right down to it, how far would you go? If it's a choice between, and no one's watching it, but the choice between you and them. And one of you's got to die. Then, then, what are you going to do to 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 save yourself, or to make sure that it's not you that that suffers? Um, yeah, that's that's definitely the way that I work with, with a lot of my characters. I think I I prefer to write um, good guys uh, who might be pressed into doing things that they regret, that 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 violate their values because of the circumstances and how they wrestle with that, how that impacts them. Um, and I think that, that I'm really more gravitating to that in my own reading as well. Um, and it could be, again, as, as Mike and uh, some others mentioned earlier, the world is so dark right now. Um, it, it I want to have someone I can root for without caveat, you know, without some, well, other be despite this, I'm rooting for this. It's like I root for this guy, and I'm not embarrassed because I want I want these these people to win, and I want good to prevail. So, I I I, I agree 100. I think that the challenge is the the reality is no one's perfect, and you can write the hero as being perfect, and they therefore become boring. I th I think we've all got our flaws. We're all terrible sometimes or a lot according to my wife um but you know we, we all have these moments of doing greatness and doing badness and I, I think that for me that that's the interest i like heroes that do great things but i need to believe that they have flaws and they're human in many ways i think that that's probably why i don't like superman because a is not human and he's perfect and he's got every power in the world to be every possible danger that comes along and that's not exciting so putting real people in situations with their flaws and faults and things like that to me is really really that, that's why i like reading that's why i like writing you know i, I love the fact that brian's character is a drunk who <laughs> you know doesn't want to be this dragon slayer but that's what he is so he's the best dragon slayer doing it but you know there, there's all this sort of antagonism and angst in him uh, and that's what makes him exciting and if his powers are going to kill him in the end even better you know but um <laughs> that to me is what makes it exciting 
Well, thank you, Mike. As per our usual agreement, I'll Venmo you that twenty dollars. Uh, <laughs> you said it was fifty bucks. <laughs> Shit, your prices are up. <laughs> but um, I think I mean one of the fun things about writing, you know, epic fantasy with a big cast of characters is you can kind of do all of them. You know, I've got some characters who are objectively good, I would say. Although I try to put them in situations where they're um, they're forced to make tough decisions, but their moral compass is maybe not in at hazard. And then I have other characters who are constantly, you know, in that gray area and doing things that are good and doing things that are bad and not really feeling the way you might expect someone to. Um, and then I have some characters who are just straight up evil the whole time. They're not trying to do the good thing. The good thing is a is a is a myth to them. And and the, it's fun to just sort of have this big mixture of people in different situations. But for what I like to read, I'll always like like gray leaning towards more villain like the hound is my favorite character in fiction i think and i love rereading his scenes even though he does when he does bad things i don't think of them as bad and i think that's the true magic of him i'm like no nah, that's about right like I'd, I'd do the same thing if i if i was in your situation sander and i get like kind of um i don't know what the right german schadenfreude word is for it but sympathizing with like a morally gray character and his bad behavior is is my favorite thing to read but, but you mentioned the hound, and I was actually thinking of the same uh, the same character, and really seeing him as someone who could be a hero, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. in some in some situations, I'm thinking specifically of of the of the the HBO uh, show, he was the hero, yeah, you know? yeah. Or, or, mm -hmm. or or the the uh, avatar of vengeance mm -hmm. uh, or, or justice. Um, so yeah and they kind of like moved him more towards the hero slot which i think george r, r. martin mm -hmm. was is going to do anyway but mm -hmm. i remember i was on like kind of like a first date and we were watching it was when game of thrones was um was coming out and it was the the episode we watched was the chicken scene where in the end where he kills all those people and says yeah. i'm gonna eat every fucking chicken in this room and i could not stop laughing i loved it i like made um, the person I was on the date with watch it over again. That we we never saw each other again. I think she was alarmed. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but that but that seems great. Who hasn't been in a bar where there's been some a hole saying stuff and you know the hound comes out with great one liners. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's all that thing. You know, if I was brave enough, I would have said that. You know, but <laughs> he can back it up. So he says it all, and then he's going to eat all the chickens. You know, it's great. Yeah, it's just like pure joy in my book. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> ML Phil. Uh, well, I, I, I very much don't go towards good or evil with my characters. I prefer to just. I try and treat them like people and what, what's the circumstance, what's the situation that's put the, that's going to steer them one way or the other. Um, so I don't like try to think of them in terms of are they naturally good or naturally bad, just kind of how they behave. This is what I find kind of interesting. Um, you know, I haven't really got any just pure good characters in my book. I've got some that lean towards evil because they are just chaotic. Mm -hmm. Even then, they're not doing it for bad sake. They're doing it because it's fun to be chaotic. But uh, yeah, I think probably, the, the, in, at least in my Orchard books, the most purely good character in that is, is a guy who hunts monsters. But even he does it because it's fun, because he gets drunk and has something to do with the lads on an evening. <laughs> but uh, he's also probably the least interesting character. I think mean, he's probably the least popular as well. So. <laughs> 
I think for me, um, it just depends on if there's a pandemic or no pandemic. <laughs> um, Pre-pandemic, I would have said like one of my favorite characters in all of fiction would be Gerald Tarrant from the Cold Fire trilogy, who is a definitely an anti-hero. He's a very interesting anti-hero. Um, and I really, really enjoyed writing my anti-hero. <coughs> Post-pandemic, I just, I, I want a hero. I want somebody who really is trying to do good, who means well, and is going to be, you know, just rock solid to the core of sweetheart. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, I've, I've got one last question. Uh, I'm going to let, uh, let G.R. Matthew uh, do his last question. But he says, uh, are all the worst villains human? He says, I'm trying to think of villains that are actually the monsters, like, you know, the orcs, even villains, which are evil elves are humanized. So, you know, based on your knowledge of fiction and television and film, you know, doesn't it typically turn out that humans are usually the, the worst villains? I could go back to one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was my answer. You, you can go for it. Well, yeah, just thought one thought I had much earlier when um, Mel brought up The Shining. I thought uh, an example that goes with that is um, Hill House, I think, is an amazing villain. <laughs> because Hill House is just the place that's just pure evil. And there's no kind of reason behind it, no, no um, you know, backstory that explains it. It's just evil. And I think that works brilliantly well. But I think you need a particular kind of story for that. Uh... I think the most effective villains are evil, because again, uh, sorry, most effective villain is a human because, again, you can relate to it. You can look at that person and say, my God, you're a human being with a conscience, and yet somehow you manage to, to do these things, and that comes back to, to the viewer or the reader, and you can feel that much more keenly than you could, yeah, okay, this flying lizard came down and torched the town and ate all the babies. That's, that's not <laughs> interesting. As, you know. yeah. I mean, even taking it back to real life, putting yourself in, in Hitler's brain that somehow he managed to justify that. That's much more horrifying to, to me as a reader and a viewer than the scaly lizard with the munchies. Yeah, but I, but I think, you know, the first fear you have as a child normally is about the monster under the bed. You know, that, that very basic fear of, of the unknown. And that's where I think like Alien and, and the Terminator do really well is because it plays on that really basic fear of, you know, the big bear that's coming to eat you, the dragon that's coming to eat you, the alien. Those stories are eternal because they go back to the very basic stories that we had as, as a child when we start learning about the world and it's the unknown that's going to get you. The, the reality of humans being far worse than any creature comes as you're an adult um, and you've experienced how bad people truly are. But there, there, there's always going to be that place for the monster coming after you, whatever shape or form that is, and having to get together and fighting that. So, uh, and I love them as as much as you know Hitler with dragons. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think now because I feel like like the Fifth Element's a really good example of a movie where there's like the big bad. Like it's not even a it's like a big asteroid thing in space that's just trying to destroy the world. And Zorg is like way more of an interesting villain than um, than the thing in outer space. But I, one like non-human villain that I really like, it's like, um, I don't, I guess it's sort of spoilery for the Southern Reach trilogy by Jeff Vandermeer, like Annihilation. 
Um, that one has a really cool villain that's like not even just one month. I don't know. It, it's such a unique, weird thing. Um, and I thought that that was cooler than any human could be in some context, but it's almost like more like academically interesting. I don't really know how to define it. So I think I prefer human villains, but there can be these really cool abstract things too that um, do stuff to your head that, that a human couldn't do, I guess, is, is, is one way of thinking about it. Those are good books too. If anyone hasn't read them, I love those books. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of an interesting one. I'm really dating myself here, but Hal uh, from 2001 A Space Odyssey <laughs> is a really good non-human, you know, bad guy. Um, in a lot of ways, I think that it's creepier than a human ever could be because of the AI. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love Hal. And he's kind of like it, he, whatever is like, um, you know, he's scary because he's like this really reduced kind of concentrated version of what a human, an aspect of human behavior that's super unsettling and cold and evil. And it's like this big projection of it. So it's, it's all, you know, never can a red light be so sinister. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, uh, I'm going to go ahead and kind of wrap up the chat, but I want uh, everybody to take that, an opportunity. I'm sorry. I want to interrupt you. I think there's something really important. I think that Graham needs to show his ax to the people. <laughs> Break it out. There you go, boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Mike. I should have remembered that from the beginning of the. Yeah. <laughs> I'm disappointed it wasn't the focus. Of the I know. <laughs> uh, but I want everybody to take the opportunity. Uh, I want to know, you know, what do you have going on right now, uh, or you know, do you have a new release coming out? Do you have a recent release, you know, in the past couple of months that has come out that you want to talk about? And then also, uh, where can new readers start with your books? Graham. <laughs> well, I've got three series on the go, um, one of which is complete, so new readers can start more or less anywhere. Um, my original series, the first one starts with Pay the Wild Hunt, which is your stereotypical epic fantasy. Then I drift into really dark stuff with Faithless, which the sequel to which I'm working on now. Hopefully, that will be out this year, but who knows? Um, finally, got uh, the Lord Prometheus, which is more contemporary fantasy. It's 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 Jason Bourne meets X Men, so it's all thing to all all people. Um, dive in wherever you like, really. <laughs> all right. Um, well, you can start with mine. We are the dead, uh, the first book in the Last War trilogy, um, and the second book uh, is called A Fool's Hope. Um, and that's out in the US and Canada on Tuesday next week. Um, mm -hmm. But it's been out about a month everywhere else. Um, yeah, bad things happen to good people. And let's see who lives at the end. <laughs> My first book is uh, Where's the Camera? There we go. Taking God. Um, the first in the Iconoclast trilogy. You can think of it of as. Uh, Indiana Jones D&D &D with PTSD. And it's really um, good. I'm sorry? And it's really good. 
I'm Ooh. sorry, say that one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone should um, buy it. Uh, <laughs> the second book in the series is, is Sin Eater. It's been out for a little over a year now. Uh, well, no, more than a year now. I don't even want to think about how long that's been out. But I am I'm very close to having uh, the third book in the trilogy, Idols Fall. Uh, what I know right now is it will be blue. <laughs> Ryan, it's my turn. My turn to show. All right. Um, so uh, again, mine's the Dragons of Terra trilogy. It's the only series I've got going. So um, can start with Blood of an Exile, which is the first book. Um, oh, and there's the UK cover too. If you want a variation, got this little situation going. Um, and then the second book came out in August, which is called Sorcery of a Queen. Um, I've actually heard from people who read this one first and and still liked it, which is surprising to me because the stories are very much intertwined. But um, yeah, I'd start with Blood of an Exile and then Fury of a Demon, the third book. I am basically done with my part of it. I'm dotting the T's and crossing the I's or whatever you're doing. And that's coming out in uh, August of this year, uh, August 31st. Well, I got three series out. Um, one more saga. <laughs> <laughs> That's a flat book series. It's very grimdark. <coughs> I recommend it for post-pandemic. Um, during the pandemic, I've got um, Dragon Mage. That actually just came out on the 8th of this month, so it's my new release. And yeah, if you want to buy one, yeah, that's the one to buy it right now because it's a good escape from the pandemic. So, <laughs> uh, so my main series is the Old Shore books and uh, contemporary fantasy thrillers. I've got one complete trilogy in that so far, and that's because I've got a mug for this. Oh, where am I going? Start <laughs> with that one under Old Shore and continue <laughs> with these two. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, but it's got a couple of different starting points. The most recent book that I've released is actually a, a spin-off. It's going to be a duology, which is just a, a sort of a globe-trotting action thriller um, featuring criminal jazz musicians. And they go from Louisiana to the Congo. It's a pretty wild ride, and that's called uh, Cameras. So I can't I can't end this yet because uh, I forgot to talk about Brian's favorite subject. Brian, Potpourri. yeah, it hasn't come up once, so. <laughs> How could uh, I have to do? Graham got to show off his axe. Do you still have your uh, your your lovely blanket that you have, you've shown? Dave, that was supposed to be our secret, and you bring it up every time we're on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have it. It's right here. Come on, my sister-in-law. Is this your, your your cuddle blanket? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, everyone makes fun of me because this is what a debut author would do. It's a big blanket of my cover. It's upside down. Here we go. I will That's say though, so she, she got it off of Shutterstock and it is an incredibly comfortable blanket. 10 out of 10 would recommend Shutterstocking <laughs> the cover of your own book for a blanket. Oh, excellent. <laughs> he gets on to me, but he told me this the first time we chatted and I have to bring it up every time. Because that was a closed group. We, we were testing, we were testing um, the software. We were amongst friends. <laughs> I'm just jealous. <laughs> it's my birthday next week. I want a blanket like that. 
See, I don't. I don't think Brian Rose. There's a, there's gonna, there's a market for that. Like people will buy buckets like that. I would totally buy one. So just remember that next time you get on to me. Um, but uh, but really, all things being said, I, I really appreciate you all uh, taking the time of your day to come chat about villains and antiheroes and morally gray people and you know everything around and about through that but uh also want to give a, a big thanks to everybody that tuned in uh and that has continued to tune in these past couple of days um and just uh really appreciate everything um and then all of y'all that are watching now uh just a heads up there's another panel starting in about 40 minutes called but what scares you so we got a little horror panel coming up uh with some fantastic authors so maybe you know make sure you stay tuned to that but as for this panel, make sure you check out all the novels they have recommended so far um, and make sure to give them a follow over on Twitter. So thank you guys so much. Thank you. Bye.